Salibá. I love you. Whoever said that. Man, here we are. I think I've had almost every job in this church. I've painted the offices, worked with the youth, taught the kids, baptized people, led worship for the youth, sat in on staff meetings, decorated for Christmas, killed bugs, all the above. But this, this is my favorite thing. Thank you, Pastor Bart, for sharing your pulpit with me this morning. Since I was about eight years old, um, my first encounter with the Holy Spirit happened around that time. Most days, there's been a sermon or a sermon illustration formed somewhere in my heart. It's how the Lord speaks to me. It's how he touches me, and it's how he comes to me. And it's an honor to be here. I love you. I love this church. Thank you for letting me bring the word today. So like Pastor Bart said, we're in this series on spiritual gifts. We've studied mercy, leadership, giving, all those wonderful, wonderful things. And now we're moving uh, back to some of the weirder ones. (laughs) This morning, I have words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discernment of spirits. And these are three ginormous topics. We could spend a year on each of them and still not cover everything in the scripture the Lord has to say about them. So this morning, we're going to have a general overview of the three. And my hope is to do that between balancing the word of God with telling some stories that the Lord laid on my heart to share. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians 12, that's where we've been, but before we read our scripture, let's, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord. Jesus, we believe that you are the Holy One, the Son of God, the beautiful man with eyes like flames of fire, with feet like burnished bronze. You, sir, are beautiful. We acknowledge you. We acknowledge your spirit. I pray this morning, Lord, that your power would come forth at the preaching of the gospel. Jesus, glorify yourself this morning. Holy Spirit, put Jesus on display that we might know him better this day. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to everything you want to do. Lord, I pray that where there is fear, that you would give us praise this morning. We receive you. We avail ourselves to you. In your beautiful and precious name, amen. This is 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. A variety of service, but the same Lord. A variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. For to one is given the utterance of wisdom. We're going to talk about that today. To another, the utterance of knowledge by the same spirit. We'll also cover that one. To another, gifts of healing. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy, which Gabe so beautifully brought to us. And to another, 
the ability to distinguish between spirits. Wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. I'm going to give us a brief overview of the three, but we're actually going to spend most of our time this morning on studying discernment because I think that is what we need the most. I think that in the church these days, that we need recognition of that which is good and that which is evil. Because the lines are getting blurrier and blurrier every single day. And these gifts, they equip the church. That's what they're for. They're for building you up. My gift for teaching this morning is so that you might be built up. But don't be confused. Those gifts build you and I, but they glorify Jesus. And if there's ever a moment where someone is displaying their gift, and at the end of it, you know more about them than you know more about the man Jesus, I think we've, we've, we've gotten off somewhere and we need to recenter ourselves on the word of God. Because it is, it is him who needs to be on display. I'd like to point out that all three of these gifts have a general call within the word of God. We are called to pursue wisdom. We're called to knowledge. We're called to discern that which is the will of God. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Romans talks about renewing your mind day by day so that you can discern that which is the will of God for your life and that which is not the will of God for your life. So we're all called to walk in a level of wisdom, knowledge, discernment. But the gift is distinct. The gifts pull on what we know about wisdom and pull on what we know about knowledge and pull on what we know about discernment. But the gifts are when the giver comes and puts himself and Jesus on display through us. When um, in the story of Gideon, it says that the Holy Spirit, the Lord put on Gideon like a glove. When spiritual gifts become active and are operating, it's like the Lord decides, hey, I'm going to use him right now. I'm going to use her right now. I'm going to put them on like a glove so that my power might be displayed through them. And here's the thing. The more you give yourself to the Holy Spirit, the more likely he is to use you. The more often he will come to you, and when you're in need of power from on high, he will be there because he comes close to his friends. So I want to briefly teach through knowledge, wisdom, and discernment, and then like I said, we'll spend our time on discernment. But the simple way I remember these three is knowledge is what? Knowledge gives supernatural insight. Wisdom is how. Wisdom gives supernatural method. And discernment is the root. Discernment explains the motive behind everything being done. Words of knowledge are words that are supernaturally given to love God, to love people and break chains. Very often, I do ministry with Paul and Lucy at the Love Lady Center, and we have times of prophetic ministry, and I love to serve on the teams. 
And what we do is we break up into groups of three. Lucy trains us and gives us protocol so beautifully. And then we have the women. The Love Lady Center is one of the largest Christian-based women's rehabilitation centers in the country. It is beautiful how God moves there. And so we, we divide up into teams and we pray and we ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying over these women? And for me, he often gives words of knowledge, supernatural insight into their lives that I otherwise would not know. And it usually happens right before they come into the door or right as they step in as soon as I see them. So I've had some really funny moments with this, and the Lord uses it to just break down walls. So one time this lady walked in, and all I can think about is McDonald's. (laughs) I know. And so I'm just like... Hi, Lord, I think this is you. So I'm like, hey, you work at McDonald's? She's like, whoa. I'm like, you're known and loved by God. <laughs> or this lady walked in one time and had this word that numbers are just significant to her. So I said, hey, do numbers have a lot of significance to you? She's like, yeah. And then more came. I'm like, you're a math teacher, aren't you? She's like, yeah, they've been trying to get me to teach math here so the women can get their uh, high school diploma. I'm like, I think you should probably do that. (laughs) The best example we have in Scripture that I think of words of knowledge is when Jesus meets the woman at the well. He's talking with her. It's the longest, longest conversation with Jesus we have recorded in Scripture. And he says, they're discoursing and talking. And he says, the fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. He knows so beautifully how to touch us, how to give us insight. And if you'll ask of him, he'll give you insight to those people around you so that you might love them well. So knowledge is what? Insight. Wisdom is how? Wisdom is supernatural knowledge of how God, the method he wants to use to advance his kingdom in the earth now. We have beautiful theology here that we live in the now and in the not yet. Meaning that we live in a time where not everyone is healed. We live in a time where not every miracle takes place. We live in a time where, where bad things still happen. But there's a time coming where that will not be so. But while we wait, we have the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is when he decides he wants to take some of that not yet and put it in the now. So he releases methods of the kingdom so that you and I might be built up. So he says some weird things like, Joshua, why don't you go march around that city seven times and I'll make those walls fall down on that seventh day. Or he says, Gideon, hey. You're not going to need all of that army, so I'm going to need you to cut it down in half, and then I'm going to need you to cut it down again so that my power might be displayed through you. Or when the apostles are teaching and preaching, he tells them, take that sweat cloth that you wipe your brow with and lay it on those sick people that they might be healed. And you might think, this all sounds stupid, but 1 Corinthians 1 says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. We need knowledge. We need wisdom 
in our church because we're going to have to face some things and we're going to have to make decisions and we will not know what to do. We're going to need you who are gifted in wisdom to pray and seek the Lord that we might have methods from heaven for kingdom advancement. Knowledge is what? Wisdom is how? Discernment reveals the root. Discernment reveals the motive. Motive matters. Spiritual fruit is what you and I can see. It's it's motive that we have to discern. Spiritual fruit is evident. I can look at someone's life. I can look at the way they speak to people. I can look at the way they teach. And I can tell you if they're living privately before devotion in the Lord. It's really not that hard. The, The telltale sign is if you love Jesus more after you're with them, they love Jesus well in private. But if after you're with them, you don't know, and they've ministered and you don't know, you don't know if you love him more, I'd be shocked if they were living in private devotion before him. Motive is that private seed that matches the public fruit. And in the same way we sharpen the gifts of wisdom by gaining wisdom, by studying wisdom, we grow in discernment by spending time with the real thing. We grow in discernment by being in the presence of the one who is discernment. If you do not spend time with the Spirit, capital S, you will not discern that which is the evil spirits, lowercase s. If you don't have a measure of the presence and power of God on your life, the enemy is going to come and take you out because he doesn't want you in the presence of God. Because when you're in the presence of God and he comes in, he easily gets exposed. But if you don't center yourself on Jesus, the enemy will take you out so quickly. People who encounter him know him. And when something shows up that is not from him, they can easily spot it and deal with it. And this is a maturity sign for everyone. Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Studying and applying the whole gospel according to the word of God brings your radar up. And that, when that which is something that does not belong to the Lord comes in your vicinity, comes in your area, you have a radar that goes up and can spot it quickly. But you learn by going to the source. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Every good and perfect thing comes from him. And we need his presence. And we need a theology of his goodness, a theology of his love, and a theology of his power so that when the false gospel shows up, you and I have a firm foundation of the love and goodness of God. I think sometimes when we think of discernment, we we think of that which is really not not discernment. We might think of demonology, the study of demons. And I just want to say this. You're not called, and I am not called, to study the darkness. You and I are called to dwell in and become the light. And when we dwell in and become the light, the darkness runs free. But if you choose to study the darkness, then he might get you. 
You become that which you behold. C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful book on spiritual warfare and how the demonic tempts people and works in our lives called the Screwtape Letters. And he opens his book with the introduction saying this, we have two problems with the devils. We're either fascinated by them or we're terrified of them. One is just as bad as the other. There's an example in the life of Paul found in Acts 16 that is part of a broader story, but I want to take this out and examine it for a moment because I think it shows biblical discernment so well. This is Acts 16, 16 through 18. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That statement doesn't sound wrong. I actually believe that. I believe those men are servants of the Most High God. I believe what they were preaching is the way of salvation. Peculiar thing, she kept doing this for many days and Paul, greatly annoyed, I love Paul, Turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Everything she was saying was true. But the heart, the spirit, the motive, and the root was all from the fear of Satan. Because the seed was demonic, the words became demonic. Your lips are moving, but your heart is far from me. We have to get our hearts in line with the Holy Spirit so that the words we say are like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Sometimes the right words and the wrong spirit are exactly what Satan had planned for you that day. This is why Paul will go on in 1 Corinthians 13, the very next chapter after spiritual gifts, to say, If I have not love, I am but a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. That means that in the area of spiritual gifts, the picture is that of a symphony. And each gift is like an instrument. And the rhythm that we're going to is love. And if anyone ever gets off love, it messes up the whole symphony. And there's confusion in our midst. And the body of Christ is not operating how it should. That is why we need discernment. So that when someone begins to get out of the line of love, you and I can go to them and say, quickly return to your first love and get in line with what God is doing in our midst. Discernment is not showing up with a hypercritical and hypocritical spirit. We already have somebody for that. His name is Satan. He's called the accuser of the brethren. My professor, my counseling professor in divinity school always said, the truth without love is like a drive-by shooting. If you speak the truth from the wrong heart, you are that noisy gong and clanging cymbal throwing confusion into the midst of the people of God and stirring up trouble in a family. At a similar moment to Acts 16 where the Lord really spoke to me in discernment again at the Love Lady Center with Paul and Lucy. 
This lady walks in, and I hear two words of knowledge, hairdresser and witchcraft. And I think, Lord, I don't mind asking somebody if they're a hairdresser. (laughs) But historically, people have gotten in trouble for asking if somebody's a witch. So I thought, well, if one's true, the other one's probably true. So I'm like, hey, you're a hairdresser. <gasps> yeah, I am. How do you know that? I'm like, guess what else I know? <laughs> <laughs> and I just feel the, the love of God take me over for this woman. I said, you're a hairdresser, and he revealed that to me. But also, you've been involved in some witchcraft, and she freezes. She says, I've never told anyone this. But when my friend and I were teenagers, we opened a spell book and did a love spell so that boys would like us. And the Holy Spirit took over me, and I said, and the words of knowledge and discernment and wisdom all began to flow at once. And I said, and since that moment, you've never been loved, and you've never been able to give love to anyone because you have been in league with the demonic. And she begins to break down. And the wisdom of God came over me, and I said, we need to ask for forgiveness, renounce this sin, cover it in the blood of lamb so that you might be healed. And she was healed. Discernment is the pathway to deliverance. Discernment is the beginning of snuffing out the enemy's plans. What Satan, Satan has plans for you. Do not be deceived. But when discernment shows up, we understand those plans and we understand God's plans and there is power in discernment for deliverance that you and I might walk again in the light if we ever begin to get off course. I think that one of the most beautiful moments of discernment is in Luke chapter, sorry, Mark chapter 4. At the end where Jesus calms a storm, listen to this. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great storm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was beginning to fill. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that you and I are perishing? And he woke up and rebuked the wind and the waves and said, Peace, be still. And he looked at the disciples and said, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to him, said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? If that storm was from God, Jesus would have had to step out of alignment in order to rebuke it. You understand? Sometimes we get very confused because we have a really bad view of the heart of the Father. And we think that when everything goes wrong or anything goes wrong, that it is a storm sent from God to make us better. And if you don't know that which is the storm from the enemy and that which is a a, a test from the Lord refining your faith, the enemy has you right where you want you. We are in need of discernment. And if you turn to chapter 5, That which is demonic in the storm 
is demonic on the, sh- on the shore, excuse me. Because Jesus steps out of the boat and there's a man who could not be held down because he had so many demons inside of him and he was breaking chains and crying out and cutting himself. And that storm was the enemy's last Hail Mary to stop Jesus from coming across the water. And if you don't know the storms of the enemy, you will never get to the deliverance that is on the other side. And if I was your enemy, called the deceiver, I would make sure you absolutely had no discernment. I would even twist the word of God and the scriptures and the way that you see it so you would think that the storms that I send you with my demons from hell are directly from God and I would make sure you had a bad view of him so you would not be able to distinguish good from evil. Several years ago, I was at a conference in college and I had my friend there, and I won't tell her name, but she was very prophetic, very powerful minister of the Lord. Someone, someone I esteem in the faith, someone who we all look up to and wonderful servant of the Lord. And she was prophesying and ministering and all these things. But this particular day, something was off. And so I'm, I'm like, Lord, I got this word that just... I'm discerning something here is fear-based. Something here is pressure. Something here is not of you. And so the Lord tells me, he said, I want you to go to her, pray over her and tell her, I will not pimp her out. I'm like, Lord, that's a weighty word. He said, go. So I go. I lay my hand on her. I'm praying for her, which was usual for the, the setting. I just, I whisper in her ear, I said, God says he's not going to pimp you out for your gifting. And she freezes. And I'll never forget this look. She just looks up at me and says, hallway. And so I follow her out into the hallway. And she looks up at me and she says, last night I had a dream. And in my dream, a man came to me and he told me God was going to pimp me out because of my gifting. It was very clear to me that the enemy had infiltrated her at a moment where she was supposed to be a powerful minister and twisted the nature and word of God to a fear-based mentality of a slave master. He was taking the relationship of a son and the relationship of a daughter and moving it into something twisted and perverted that is not what you and I are called to. And if I see any of the enemy's schemes in the church, in the global church, it's this. We do not have a solid foundation and understanding of the goodness and kindness and love of God. And when the enemy comes and tells us things like he's going to make you a slave and pimp you out for your gifting, we don't know where the storm is and we don't know where the spirit is. We always say it's not about religion, it's about relationship. I think that religion is this, trying to make up for your own sin as a slave because we have not trusted in the love and goodness of God. Trying to atone for your own sin as a slave because we have not trusted in the goodness and love of God. 
It's exactly what that boy in Luke 15 did when he came to his senses rolling around in pig slop. And he thought, I'll go to my father's house. He has wealth. He has food. And I'll be just a servant. So he starts walking back home. And it says the father saw him from afar and greeted him and hugged him and kissed him. And that boy says, I'm just going to be a servant. Just let me be a slave. I'm not worthy of your son. And that dad says, stop it. That is not who you are. And he puts a ring on his finger and a robe on his back. And here's the thing. It sounds right what that boy was saying. Haven't we heard this before? Lord Jesus, we're not worthy and we come into your presence because we're not worthy and we're not worthy and we're not worthy. And he has said, you are worthy. The greatest lie ever told is this. You are not worthy of love. And because we don't believe he loves us, we have submitted to fear, to Satan's scheme. I want to pull up one more scripture. This is the beginning of John chapter 8. Read so beautifully outlined it for us this week. It's the woman caught in adultery, caught in adultery. You understand the weight of that. This is John 8, 2 through 12. Early in the morning, he, that's Jesus, came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and was teaching them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, the law of Moses commanded us to stone this woman, but what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin throw the first stone to this woman we've caught in the act of adultery. And once more he bit down and wrote in the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone. He was left alone with that woman. He stood her up and said, where are your accusers? Nowhere, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He then spoke again and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The current law for this woman, according to the Bible, according to the law of Moses, is that she should be put to death by throwing stones at her until she is gone. The current ruling law for the boy who was the prodigal son, as we like to call him, was that he should be stoned to death for being disobedient and dishonoring to his father. And Jesus shows up and he blows up all our ideas of what his father is like. If you've ever encountered the real love of God, you know that he does not come at you with a stone. 
He gets in your dirt, gets in your mess, lifts you up and says, where are your accusers? Nowhere, Lord. And then he says, I will never bring shame upon you. And in that power that I will never shame you, now you are empowered to go and sin no more. You can only do the discipline thing if it is within the lane of love. If you try to do the discipline thing without, with shame, it does not work. For a while, I had this issue where I kept bringing up my sins to the Lord. Old sins, ones I had repented of and he was not remembering. I just remember one day I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm that wretch. I'm unworthy because of my sin. And he stopped me and he said, what sin? What sin? What shame, Chase? What guilt? If you want to know what perfect love looks like, perfect love is the exact representation of the Father found an encounter with Jesus Christ. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever is fearful of punishment has not been perfected in love, but perfect love casts out fear. His name is Jesus. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's exactly what God is like. He is the word made flesh. He's the bread of life and the light of the world. He is the door for the sheep and the good shepherd. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. He's the peace in the storm, the father of the prodigal and the one who leaves the 99. He is the one that we can build upon. He's the great teacher and he is wisdom. He's the one who feeds the 5,000 and raises the widow's son, heals the man born blind and weeps with Mary just to go raise her brother a few moments later. He is perfect love that heals every wound. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or rulers, dominions, authorities, powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and was and is to come. He he is perfect love that casts out fear. And the one time he self-describes, he says, I am gentle and lowly at heart. Come to me and I will give you rest for the shame of your souls. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That means when your flame is about to go out, he does not come near with stones. He does not come near and snuff you out. He comes near, holds you close, and he fans that flame of love that the wildfire of the goodness and knowledge of God might burn brightly for the saints that are around you. He is the one crucified for you, but that is not the complete gospel, because he was not just crucified. Romans 1 says he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, through whom we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon love upon grace. And if I were your enemy, I would make sure you never got that revelation. I would make sure you continually crucify yourself 
without ever coming to resurrection power of what he can do in you and through you with your shame and your guilt and your sin and your pain and your abuse and your trauma and your self-harm and your depression and your anxiety. Paul warns about this. He says it's having the appearance of godliness but denying its power to change you. But there is a more excellent way, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The greatest lie ever told is that you and I are not worth loving. But the greatest revelation found in the face of Jesus is that you are worthy of the love and the power of God to transform your life and change you. Stand with me, church. I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. Let's just hold out our hands before the Lord because I think he wants to do some things. Father, I ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit, that your perfect love would cast out fear. Lord, I ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would touch every single heart right now. I want to invite the ministry teams to come on forward. If I have a word of wisdom this morning, it's this that fear is breaking off and perfect love cast out fear. If I have a word of knowledge this morning, it's this, is that you are worthy of love. And if I have anything to do with discernment, it's that perfect love casts out fear. So we're going to sing to the Lord. And if you do not know this Jesus, you come to one of these prayer teams, you look them in the eye and you say, I want to know this man with eyes of love and compassion toward me. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. If there is fear in your life, if there's a storm in your life, if you've been caught in the act of sin and you don't know what's the storm, you don't know what's the goodness of God, and you don't know where to, where to come in and get healing, this is where you get healing. Come and get prayer for your anxiety, for your depression, for your low self-esteem, for your self-harm, and let the goodness of God heal those wounds. Jesus, I thank you for your power. You're good. You're so, so good. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness is chasing you, church.
Amen.